Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. You're never going to regret working harder. You know, you're never going to regret uh, putting in an extra hour, you know, you, you, you know, especially in the early going, because you're really establishing habits, you know, so those are, those are, you're, you're almost acquiring tools for your tool belt. So you want your tool belt to be full. I'm assuming if you're in this group, you, you're someone that loves comedy and many of you want to pursue it professionally. So those are the things that are really going to separate you is, is, uh, your approach and your work habit. Hot breath. Hello, hot breath of verse. Welcome back to the Hot Breath Podcast, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I'm your host, comedian Joel Byers, and you know what time it is. Hot Thank you for tuning in yet again, hot brethren and sisterin. Yes, that did rhyme. If this is your first time joining us here in the Hot Breath of Verse, you are in for a treat. If you're a fan of today's guest and that's why you're here, you are going to hear our guest in a way you've never heard before. And if you're a returning listener, you're going to get that same weekly comedy goodness because we are all here to help each other get better at comedy together by interviewing our favorite comedians. And we have been doing live Q&As in our Facebook group during all of this quarantine. So hope you're staying safe out there. First off, let's get into this episode. But if you want to get involved in future Q&As, we've done some with Alonzo Bowden, Nate Bargatze, Mark Norman. Uh, there's, there's honestly at this point too many to list. They're all on our YouTube page if you want to see the video, but we do several every single week, so go join our Facebook group. It's linked in the show notes. You're going to be able to connect with comics from around the world and also join our daily writing club that we mention in this group. All that being said, kiddos, it's time, as there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath. All right, Hot Breath of Verse. With Ted. Welcome back to Hot Breath Podcast. Alexandro. Comedy from the pros. Ah. You are watching Comedians on Skype Talking Comedy, where we ask your favorite questions to your favorite comedians. If you're watching on YouTube, all of these questions are being asked live in our Facebook group. So go into the description and click join the Facebook group so you can get involved in future Q&As. But... Today's guest, he embodies the spirit of hot breath, that self-made independent hustle. Please bring a warm welcome for the one and only Ted Alexandro, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I'll be, I'm going to re be reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar to you. Uh, that's basically what I've been doing the last few months, so uh, we'll just keep it. We'll keep it in that vein. <laughs> well, yeah, we appreciate you taking time out of uh, your family to actually sit here and share some comedy wisdom with us today. 
Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Joel. So I've been, I've personally been a huge fan and I know several of our listeners have as people are already commenting with their questions, but listeners go ahead and get into your questions. Go ahead and start posting them. And I'm going to selfishly ask um, a few here. Oh, and some, uh, Wayne already said, enjoyed stay at home. Every day I get a scare too, LOL. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah. Got to stay strong, man. <laughs> Find a way through it. And that that's a uh, that's a great place to start with this with stay at home comedian your newest special you just released based off Instagram live videos could you I tried researching I always research my guests and I tried researching into the origin story of this but I haven't found it so would you be able to share that with us here Sure thing yeah so basically once the pandemic hit and once the quarantine specifically hit uh, you know, comedy clubs were shut down. Uh, I had been touring with Jim Gaffigan and we were actually just on our way to Mexico. We were about, I think, you know, a few days away from doing a week in Mexico. So, uh, all of that was canceled. We were supposed to be at Radio City in, in New York. That wow. was canceled. So all of a sudden, you know, just, yeah, just a minor gig, you know, nothing big, <laughs> a bar show. Uh, so all of a sudden, I'm looking at a, an empty slate. So like a lot of comedians, uh, I kind of turn to alternate platforms. So I, I have a podcast. So I started doing two podcasts a week on uh, my podcast is called A Little Bit Me. And I also started um, live streaming on Instagram Live. It just kind of seemed like a natural fit, like since I wasn't able to get up on stages. And because all this weird stuff was going on, I felt like you know, let me try to process this in real time. And let me also with Instagram live, uh, much like Facebook, you're able to see comments in real time. So I kind of felt like it's a good interactive thing as well. Um, so then over the course of a couple of weeks, I just thought to myself, you know, if I take the best moments of these weeks of, uh, you know, live streams, a lot of them were close to an hour in length, you know, and just kind of take the highlights and string them together. This could be uh, something worth putting out. And then the more I thought about it, it would be kind of funny, almost like tongue in cheek to refer to it as a comedy special, mm -hmm. even though it was shot in quarantine in my apartment. Uh, so it's like almost like the anti special, really, because it's uh, as small and as intimate as can be. And you've always been like anti the trend. You know, I mean, you were a founding member of the New York Comedians Coalition that helped New York comedians get paid more. You've also been involved in Occupy Wall Street. But even way back in the Dizay, before it was cool to release your own special, you were already releasing your own specials with I did it. I mean, you did it Creek in the Cave in front of like 30 people and then Senior Class of Earth as well. You went through all things comedy, but it was still seemingly independent. Um, That's right. I I did that with mine. I just released my own comedy special independently, and I have to accredit you paving the path for us comics to show, oh, this is possible. And do you were you intentional about that, or what is it about you seeing a trend and then trying to find the contrary of that? Have you found that to be kind of a, a useful way to pursue comedy? Yeah, well, first off, congratulations to you on, on putting out your special you. and your album. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like that's the most organic way of creating and releasing stuff. You know, the other way is really what is inorganic, where you give up 
what you've created to uh, whether it's Comedy Central or Netflix. Really, the only reason to do that. Well, there's a couple. Uh, one is money, obviously, because you're going to get a bigger payday from those kind of corporate entities than you will on your own. Uh, the other is exposure, eyeballs, you know, uh, but also you're giving up ownership. So the, so there is something, you know, I guess like with any business transaction, there's uh, pros and cons and a give and take. So for me, uh, all of my specials have been independently produced. My first one was As Much As You Want. Uh, now, what was interesting about that was uh, I had done two half hour specials for Comedy Central in the late 90s, early 2000s. So uh, then I shot my special after that, but I did it myself. So I had I had the exposure of the half hour specials already. Um, but I, I kind of felt like, and, and to this day, I still feel, uh, unless they're throwing a lot of money at you, which isn't the case uh, for a lot of comedians, uh, but unless they're throwing a lot of money at you, um, to me, there isn't a whole lot to think about, you know, because I don't want to give up ownership of this thing that I've crafted over years. Um, and also with with your streaming income now, if, you know, Sirius XM streams your comedy or uh, Spotify, Pandora, all these streaming services, uh, you, you want to get the checks from both uh, the artist and the rights owner. And if you give up your special, you surrender the rights ownership. So then Netflix or uh, Comedy Central or whoever it is will be the rights owner. So there's, you know, there's business things to consider. And I apologize for missing as much as you want. I um, Oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I always, I mean, I always do thorough research and I'm kind of embarrassed that I missed that. Um, no, not at all. So when it comes to releasing your own special independently, what did you find to be like the biggest pro as opposed to trying to sell it to a network? I mean, what short term, I guess you get paid up front by the network. So you get that initial payment, but it seems like they get a lot more of the back end. But with you, how have you been able to monetize creating this high valued free content? Yeah. So even like with my my Comedy Central specials, I think they paid like maybe 25,000 or $30,000, um, which after taxes is, you know, uh, between half and two thirds of that. Um, you know, so it's not, you're not getting a $30,000 check. You're getting whatever it winds up being. I don't know if it's 18, 19,000. Wow. Um, so, you know, that is a lot of money, of course, for mm -hmm. a comedian. Like, you're starting out, you know, you, you're barely making anything. You know, you're doing a lot of free gigs. You're doing a lot of bar gigs. So that th those first paydays, of course, are, are very exciting. Um, but, yeah, the, the pros are, for me, uh, again, like when you enter a creative field, presumably you're doing it because you have ideas and you have ideas about not only your jokes and your material and the way you present it, but you have ideas about how you want things to look. So for example, my last special, uh, senior class of earth, the, the one before stay at home comedian, mm -hmm. uh, senior class of earth. I shot at the comedy sellers, uh, second room, the village underground. They have three clubs. Uh, the cellar of course is the, is the main one on McDougal street. And then around the corner, they have two other clubs, the Village Underground, which is a little bigger, and also the Fat Black Pussycat, which is kind of a loungy, small club. Uh, but the seller owns all three of them. 
So I shot senior class of Earth uh, at the Village Underground, which seats about 200 people. Um, but to your question, I had ideas about like how I wanted it to look, you know, like when you do a special for Comedy Central or Netflix or whoever, a lot of those decisions are taken out of your hands, how you want it to look, uh, the, the staging, the lighting. Um, so for Senior Class of Earth, I worked with my director, who I've done a lot of things with, uh, two of my specials, uh, three now, including Stay at Home Comedian. And we designed like we wanted it to kind of be smoky, kind of like a, an intimate club feel uh, with kind of red lighting and, and you know, different types of uh, different types of looks. Uh, so I don't think if I had done it with Comedy Central, I would have had the autonomy uh, that I did doing it myself. So basically, the answer to your question is it gives you as the artist uh, more control, you know, which I think is a good thing. It's good to think about. How do I want this to look? How do I want it to sound? Um, you know, to take more ownership over your your product. And have, in terms of getting a return on that investment, have, have you seen, I mean, is it just growing a larger fan base that then listens to your podcast more and comes and see you live? You know, how are you able to correlate that return? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So it's not like an initial paycheck like you would get from Comedy Central or from Netflix um, so, you know, I mean, I've had friends who have sold their special to Netflix and don't get me wrong. I explored, I explored that, uh, possibility. I reached out to Netflix. I, I know some people there, um, but they passed on senior class of earth. So that was disappointing, um, because at least I wanted to kind of explore it and see, you know, if I could, if like, you know, I, I've had comedian, a lot of comedian friends who have specials on Netflix and, you know, in a lot of cases there, you're looking at maybe a quarter of a million dollars or, you know, 300,000 uh, and up. I mean, of course, like the big names, if you're Seinfeld or if you're Chappelle, you know, then we're talking crazy numbers, 10 million, 20 million, whatever, whatever it is for a special. Uh, but I'm talking like working comedians, uh, peers of mine that I've come up with, you know, it's usually quarter of a million, uh, 300,000 in that ballpark. So. I think at this point, you know, especially now having a family, I'd be willing to listen to those numbers uh, to surrender the ownership. Right. Um, you know, at least for maybe one special or, or something, you know, so you have to you have to weigh all these things. Um, so, yeah, for, for me uh, at this point, like it, it is good that I have the ownership of it. I did it with All Things Comedy, as you said, uh, which is a company that's owned by Bill Burr, Al Madrigal. So it's comedian owned, which kind of resonated with me. Uh, so they gave me uh, a check that covered a lot of the costs of the production because I went out of pocket to shoot it and to pay the director, the production team, all of that. So uh, I kind of recouped with with that. And I um, I also worked with 800 pound Gorilla Records uh -huh, yes. uh, for the audio side of things. Uh, so I kind of recouped my money um up front and now with the streaming and uh with all of that now now i'm kind of in the, in the clear and making profits going forward uh so it was kind of a thing of like let me at least not lose money and now i'm now i'm seeing a profit you know as as things go forward yeah we had mark normand on here and he was talking about netflix was I mean, he may have been joking. It's it's tough to tell with him, but he was pretty much like. <laughs> but I mean, it was pretty yeah, much like hard. Netflix told me, you know, we have enough white honkies. You got to have 
you either have to come in with a big following already or come in with like an angle or a shtick type deal at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is kind of the landscape now that um, it's either big stars, mm-hmm. uh, household names, uh, or, you know, uh, a lot of these corporate entities are rightfully trying to diversify. So women, people of color, uh, you know, they're they're using the people that uh, in a lot of cases they've ignored in the past. So, um, you know, it, for me, I don't feel like, you know, like, don't cry any tears for me. Like, oh, the white guys are having a hard time. Yeah, I don't see it that way. Like, you know, uh, I had two Comedy Central present specials and I had plenty of late night uh, sets on Letterman and all these other things. So, you know, it's it, the landscape has changed in that regard, but there's plenty of other um, outlets. Uh, so, yeah, you just have to be more creative in, in your thinking. Beautiful. All right, so let's let's get into some questions here as we uh, jump in with uh, number one, Chase Bonin. He says, you're described as a comics comic. How do you feel about that, and what is your interpretation of that phrase? Also, do you have a favorite comedian that you describe as a comics comic? Thanks for the question, Chase. Um... Yeah, I take that as as a compliment, you know, amongst comedians, that is uh, high praise, you know, when you're known as a comics comic, because I think what it means is uh, that you make comedians laugh, too, uh, because comedians, we can get a little bit jaded. Uh, you know, we can kind of we, we see so much comedy uh, that at times, you know, maybe we're a little bit harder to, to get to laugh. Um, so, yeah, to me, I think it just maybe says that my peers respect me and that that has always meant a lot to me so that's that's a good thing and uh when i think of a comics comic the imme- the immediate person that comes to mind is david tell mm. uh he's the guy like coming up through new york city that all of the comedians would stand in the back of the room and watch you know uh because as i said we see so many so many comedians we see so much comedy we respect everybody but when when you have comedians lining up in the back of the room and stopping to watch you, that's high praise. So Dave Attell is really the pinnacle of uh, a comics comic in my mind. It's a fine line in terms of your comics comic. You get the respect of your peers. That's awesome. But your peers aren't going to pay the bills, you know, and it's kind <laughs> of a tough it's a tough balancing act there. Uh, I mean, what is your opinion on that? Well, that's a good point. I think that's part of it, too, uh, because at times when they say a comics comic, they mean that the audience doesn't get them. Like maybe somebody like Larry David back in the day before he started writing with Seinfeld. uh, I heard, you know, I never saw him. He was a little bit before my time as a stand up. uh, But I heard he was pretty adversarial and would kind of like go with the crowd and do these crazy things and kind of maybe walk off stage, you know, uh, but the, the comics were always cracking up. Um, so that's a different type of comics comic. Uh, I don't really see myself in that category. Like I, I try to make the crowd laugh and, uh, I don't really have an antagonistic relationship with the audience. Um, so I, you know, my approach is of course always to make the audience laugh and for people to have a good time. Uh, but yeah, the fact that comedians also respect me, uh, is, is important to me. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like some, at times there are people that the business doesn't know what to do with 
because they're too bizarre or, you know, comedians love them, but maybe the crowd doesn't get them or they're too avant-garde. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've, you know, fortunately for me, I've been able to make a living and it hasn't really affected, you know, like, like I said, my, I see my first job is to make people laugh, you know. Boom. Great. Yeah, great point there. So the next one actually ties into entertaining the audience as opposed to comedians. And this comes from Mitt Wolf. He says, uh, when Nate Bargatze was on here, he talked about how comics need to get back to murdering. And he would he was like, murder. He would like say it like from his soul. He was so intent about murdering on stage. But uh, so he says, uh, when was the first time you murdered and what made the difference? Uh, thank you for the question. Um, I can't really remember the first time I murdered, but I did feel comfortable on stage pretty early on because I had done a lot of acting in high school and college. So mm-hmm. being on stage was not foreign to me at all. Uh, but it did take a little time to kind of get my footing in terms of stand up. Um, but I do remember like killing maybe in the first you know, few years where I kind of felt like, oh, you know, I think I'm onto something here and I, I have a style and yeah, I mean, that's, it's a great feeling. Um, but you know, I don't, I'm sure Nate probably alluded to this, that there's different types of, uh, murdering or killing. Like there's, if you're doing it like in a way that feels cheap to you, uh, and as a young comic that, that can be the danger if you have something that kills, but maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's cheap in, in whatever way, uh, you know, and that's that's kind of a little bit of a trap that young comedians tend to fall into, because uh, when it when as he said, you know, when you kill, it feels it feels so good. Um, but, you know, it has to square with uh, your integrity, too, you know, and that varies from person to person. Uh, so you'll know if you're killing with a cheap laugh or something that doesn't really square with your integrity versus if you kill with something that you know is is com- coming from your voice and is authentic that's that's the best feeling because then you don't have any qualms about it that is something that is my favorite part about your comedy even uh beyond the writing which there there is a question about thank goodness because i definitely want to get into your writing but your you referred to it a second ago as like your comfort on stage and even beyond that like your timing, and I know you have like a jazz background, like you play jazz piano and all that, and it's like your timing, you're in z- zero rush. Like your movements seem to be just not choreographed, but very methodical. Like how were you able to, because young comics especially, it's that nervous energy of I got to get these words out before everyone hates me. But like, how were you and what was that process of massaging out that anxiety and really just being like, oh, I have all the time in the world up here. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You know, I think the trap is to feel rushed and the mm-hmm. trap is to feel uh, like there can't be any silence. There can't be any dead air. Um, and I, I used to fall into that trap too, of, you know, thinking that I had to speak very quickly and be animated and, you know, my energy had to be like through the roof. Um, you know, and as you do stand up for 10 years, 20 years, you figure things out about yourself and about your style. 
hopefully you're always learning, you're always dissecting your own uh, craft and the way you approach it. Um, but, but I kind of found over the years that, you know, maybe that was a little bit of a crutch, you know, like to, to not give the audience any space. Um, and again, it, it depends stylistically on how you work for some people, you know, it's like a machine gun. It's like a sledgehammer. They go, go, go. And, and I love it. If, you know, it's all about authenticity. If that's who you are and that's the way you work, then I love it, you know? But if it's forced and you're doing it out of fear, um, you know, I would just encourage people to explore, like, what exactly are you afraid of? For me, hmm. I, over time, found that you could find laughs or maybe even extra little moments would pop up if I allowed for a silence, you know, because the crowd really reads you. If you are, like you said, if you're at peace and unrushed and comfortable, then they're going to go with you. You know, they're always kind of uh, they're assessing. Are you comfortable up there? They're assessing like, what's this person about? And if they sense fear or if they sense that you are, um, uh, you know, just unsure, then the room will register that. But if you're really planted and firm, uh, then I think they kind of lean in and they want to know like where you're going and different moments can happen in those silences too. Or maybe a, a look, right? Like something physical, like a, a gesture or, you know, uh, a lot of things can happen in the silences, you know, so that's something I've learned over time. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes we've had in doing these Q&As with Alonzo Bowden said, that if you're afraid to say it, they're afraid to hear it. I'm just like, that's, yeah, it's a game changer. Yeah, I mean, I would piggyback on that and say, like, sometimes you're afraid to say things, but you know you have to, you know? Like, so sometimes if I'm doing a joke that maybe is, like, social commentary or something political, uh, like, I'm a little, not scared, I wouldn't say scared is the right word, but I, I'm just concerned about making sure that it lands the way that I intend, you know? Uh, so I, th I think sometimes a little bit, and, and I'm sure Alonzo, you know, he, he didn't mean it, you know, uh, I'm sure he's aware of this too. He, he, he and I are great friends. Uh, but what I'm saying is at times when you're afraid to say something or that you're a little like that, that helps you grow. Uh, like it helps you grow when, uh, you know, cause in, there's a, there's different types of laughs. There's an easy laugh where you're just talking about your family or your, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, your, your significant other. And then there's a laugh where you're kind of stating an, an opinion or maybe commenting on society. So uh, there's different types of colors within the course of your act. So, so those types of things might require a little bit more, um, you know, you have to be a little more resolute uh, in, in I'm going to plant my feet and I'm going to I'm going to say this. And this is perfectly tying into Stephen Rogers' next question, where he says, how do you come back to a bit you believed in but couldn't get to work? That's a good question, Stephen. Uh, there's a lot of bits like that. You know, there's bits over the years where um, you think there's something there uh, and you love it. You love the idea. You love the joke. Um, ultimately... You have to listen to the crowd, though. If 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 it's dying night after night for months <laughs> on end, 
uh, you know, maybe it's time to put it on the shelf. It doesn't mean that don't do it forever. Cause I've had jokes that I came back to a year later, five years later. Um, and you just rework it. So if you really believe in something, don't retire it, but maybe just, uh, keep working on it, put it on the shelf, give it a little time, um, rework it in your notebook. Um, you know, sometimes it's a process. If it's it, like I said, if it's, if there's a degree of difficulty with a joke, you know, like I said, if, I, if, if it's about, um, you know, relationships or if it's about like taking a shit or whatever, you, you know, like people are going to just laugh because whatever it's, it's just, they know you're joking. But if it has a, a higher degree of difficulty, um, then that might take some time. It might take years, you know? So, uh, to answer your question, Stephen, if, if you feel strongly about it, just, you know, keep trying it, keep trying it. Um, but if it never works, then, then you gotta, you gotta think like, all right, maybe, uh, I got to put this on the shelf for a while. So when you talk about taking it to like the page and you're like, maybe I need to rework it on the page. Uh, Wayne Flake asks like, what is your favorite writing technique? And maybe make that plural in terms of like, what are some of your go-to writing techniques to kind of put your jokes through a checklist type deal? Yeah. Well, when I started, uh, my main technique was to write every day, uh, sit down for two hours. Uh, and that was a, a block of time that worked for me. It's, it's different for everyone, but I would encourage people to go for two hours because sometimes in that first hour, um, nothing really comes, you know, sometimes you're sitting there and maybe just a few sentences or whatever. But if you know, I'm in this chair for two hours my phone is off. I'm not looking, you know, and I write with a, a pen and paper too, uh, mostly because I don't want the distraction of potentially logging onto the internet or looking at my Facebook or whatever else. Uh, so for me, pen and paper means it's just me. I'm in this chair. I'm with my thoughts and, uh, I'm, I know I'm here for two hours. I don't care what happens. I don't care what distractions come up. I'm, I'm just staying and writing. And if you do that for, you know, five days a week, for uh, a month, for two months, for six months, really what you're doing is you're learning your voice. You're learning your process. You're spending intimate time with yourself, which is important, you know, because uh, when you go up in front of a crowd, you are making a request for their attention. You're asking for their focus to be on you. So what have you done to earn that? Have you put in the time? Have you put in the hours? Do you know what you have to say? Because if you don't know what you have to say and you don't know who you are, uh, you know, it begs the question, do you really deserve to ask a room of people to listen? Now, you know, I mean, of course, you do deserve it because you're a human being and you're you're offering your thoughts and you're you're offering, you know, um, your creativity. So that has its own merit. But I'm talking about in the grand scheme of like being a professional and getting everything. Yeah, you know, I'm not just talking about an open mic at a coffee shop. You know, mm -hmm. uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not, everybody has the right to get up on stage. That's great. But I'm talking about really sitting with yourself and discovering who you are. Um, so that takes time. And, and you really have to give your craft the proper respect and the proper time. So over years, uh, that develops. Another thing that I did, um, 
was early on study everybody, um, whether it's people that you're working with, uh, but study the greats, uh, study Richard Pryor, George Carlin, uh, everyone, Moms Mabley, uh, you know, everyone that you can think of, uh, Bob Newhart, uh, Stephen Wright, um, on up through uh, Chappelle, you know, uh, just study everybody who really uh, owns their craft, you know. And another thing that I would do is when I had my jokes, sometimes I would recite them in other people's styles. I, I would say to myself, like, how would Stephen Wright deliver this joke? How would uh, George Carlin deliver this joke? Because what that does is those people have very distinct styles, right? Stephen Wright is kind of low key, deadpan, uh, dry. Um, Carlin is, is more high energy, more physical. So sometimes, you know, uh, like Sam Kinison, whoever it is, think of different styles. Uh, and, you know, it's really just an exercise for you to say, like, am I getting everything out of this joke? that I can be that, that fits my style, you know, as, as you're figuring out your style, because if you try it in, um, whoever's, uh, you know, uh, fill in the blank, if you try it in Gary Goldman style or whoever, uh, maybe you'll find one little moment in the joke that wasn't there before, maybe a pause, maybe a facial gesture, maybe something physical, uh, maybe you'll be louder because you tend to be quiet or vice versa. Um, so, yeah, I think exploring different people's voices when you're starting out um, is a good mental kind of uh, exploration. And let, let's take a step back to this two hour writing, because it's very romantic as comedians. I'm going to sit down and write every day. And I'm and I feel unfortunate with this comedy group we're in here at Hot Breath that we do a write 10 club every day where we show up and write for 10 minutes just to just to have some sort of daily ritual, some sort of daily habit and social accountability. But two hours, how how are you how are you able to commit to this? What mindset or what habits did you set in place that like I'm doing this no matter what? Well, first off, I would uh, commend anyone who's doing uh, the 10 minutes, because when you establish those habits, that's a positive, you know, no matter how much time it is. And like you said, accountability and there's a social aspect of, of kind of having, you know, a, like a, a bit of a binding uh, contract of sorts. Mm -hmm. So all of that is is good stuff. But you have to really assess, like, what are your goals? You know, um, if your goal is to be a professional comedian, uh, if you want this to be your job, I would suggest that you approach it. As such, you know, uh, 10 minutes is a good start, but that's likely not going to get you to where you want to be as a professional. Uh, you know, um, to be a professional, you have to kind of get out of your comfort zone. Uh, and I think it's important to create habits that you'll look back on with pride and you'll say, wow, I remember when I was starting, I worked Harder than I thought I could, you know, because I look back, I, I was teaching, I was going to school, I was working at a supermarket, and I was doing the open mics uh, five nights a week. Uh, I was writing two hours a day. Um, so, you know, when I look back on that, I was like, wow, I was insane. 
but I was also doing what I loved and I was creating habits. So that's another thing to really focus on that you're creating habits in the early going that are going to potentially separate you from other people. And you're never going to regret working harder. You know, you're never going to regret, uh, putting in an extra hour, you know, um, you, you, you know, especially in the early going, because you're really establishing habits, you know, so those are those are you're, you're almost acquiring tools for your tool belt. So you want your tool belt to be full, you know. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, I'm assuming if you're in this group, you, you're someone that loves comedy and many of you want to pursue it professionally. Um so those are the things that are really going to separate you is, is uh, your approach and your work habit. You're never going to regret working harder. That, ooh, dropping dimes over here. Okay. <laughs> so let, let's get uh, to Jerron's because this is, yeah, this is an important one as well when it comes to actually the mindset behind being a professional comedian. There could be a lot of self-doubt and Jerron Young asks, what self-doubt or resistance did you feel in the beginning of your career and how do you deal with it now? Thanks, Jerron. Yeah, I would say uh, that, you know, that's just part of the, the deal, especially when you're starting. You, you feel self-doubt all the time. Uh, you wonder, like, do I belong? Is this funny? Uh, what am I doing? Um, yeah, you have all sorts of, of doubts in the early going. So that's, that's part of the deal, you know, so you kind of have to overcome that. And the beauty of comedy is it really affords you the opportunity to figure out who you are, not only on stage, but off. You know, it, it's, you're really through all of the time that you're spending writing, uh, all the time on stage, all the time with your fellow comedians, you're figuring out who you are. And there are people that are putting you in check. The audience is putting you in check and saying like, nah, that's not working. I don't believe that coming out of your mouth. And that'll be different for everyone. You know, they, they, they'll believe it coming out of one person's mouth, uh, but they won't believe the same bit coming out of that person's mouth because it just doesn't jibe with what they're looking at, you know? Um, so it's really a process of like, what does the audience believe coming out of my mouth? And, what that does over years is it lets you know who you are. It lets you know what your voice is. Um, so yeah. And, and also your fellow comedians let you know, like, um, you know, that's not really working that like your fellow comedians will kind of also, uh, tell you, you know, what, what works, what doesn't. But over the years, those self doubts start to shed because you accumulate so much stage time. You, you accumulate successful experiences. Um, yeah. So you start to really know who you are and you really, uh, you have a confidence that really becomes unshakable over time. Not to say that, you know, there, there are times where you still don't hit the mark the way you want to or, a night doesn't go the way that you'd hoped, but it doesn't shake your confidence. You just know that, okay, like for whatever reason, you know, you still have to assess, like, was that something that I did? Was it, you know, was it my approach that was wrong or, you know, so that doesn't end, but, uh, you don't have the crisis of confidence. Like, Oh, I guess, I guess I'm not good. I guess I'm not a comedian. You know, you know that there's another show the next night. Mm. 
And we'll we'll wrap up with this one because it's actually something you just referred to, and that is finding your voice, which every comedian wants to do. So Trent Babb asks, what advice do you have for finding your voice? Well, Trent, I would say the main thing is doing it. Just, you know, again, if you relentlessly work, you know, the writing process, it has to be the the thing that's very odd and almost singular, really, about stand-up comedy is that the two components of it couldn't be more different. You're creating something in solitary kind of, you know, in solitude. You're alone in a room, right? Uh, you're alone with your thoughts. Uh, the quiet, um, just kind of sitting there and brainstorming and daydreaming, really. And then the execution of it is in a room full of people and noise and, and sometimes chaos and drinks and, and food. And so it's two very different, um, you know, uh, environments in which, the creation takes place and then the performance takes place. Um, but you have to put time into both. Uh, the writing is that time with yourself and knowing this is how my brain thinks. This is uh, how I create, you know, the, the intimacy of knowing yourself. And then also the time on stage performing. Um, those are really the steps of finding your voice and that take, you have to also be gentle with yourself. I would encourage you to not be harsh because a lot of times we can be overly critical and overly harsh and, um, kind of shoot ourselves down. Uh, but really I would encourage you to lift yourself up. If you're putting in the work, um, then pat yourself on the back and say, you know, like I, I, even if it doesn't go great, um, if you're putting in the work, then, you know, make sure that you're, uh, being kind with yourself and being gentle with yourself because what you're doing is not easy, you know? So, um, yeah, just immerse yourself in it, do the work. And then there's going to be nights that are difficult. There's going to be days when, um, you miss the mark, but that's life, you know, that's part of being human. Um, so yeah, I, I would encourage people to, to be kind to yourselves as well. Well, we hit the mark with this one, Ted, you are a, a comedy sensei and the hot breath of verse. <laughs> thanks you for your valuable time. Uh, in closing, is there any, uh, of your favorite comedy advice or anything you can bestow upon us as we exit this? <laughs> Well, thank you, Joel, for, for having me. It's a real pleasure. And thank you to everybody who's watching and submitting questions. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, that, uh, it, it's, it's really a lifestyle choice, you know, uh, when, when you get into comedy or you get into the arts. Uh, so, you know, it's not something that is separate. It's, you can't really compartmentalize it. It's really your life. It's the way you see the world. Uh, it starts to become your social circles, uh, you know, so really, you know, you have to kind of, um, you have to jump in with, with both feet and, uh, but it's very rewarding too, because, uh, you kind of start to shed a, a lot of the insecurities that, that a lot of people have, uh, because you, you've worked for something and you've worked on yourself, uh, so there's a real reward in that process of, um, you know, it's really exploration. The whole thing is is exploration and creativity, and also the act of of giving. You know, you're you're to show up in front of a room full of strangers night after night and give of yourself. 
is uh, it's a beautiful act, you know. Uh, of course, there's ulterior motives, and you want to you want to do well, and you want to uh, you know kind of move up the ranks and get on television and all the other things. But I think at, at its core, the most simple uh, aspect of what it is is a selfless act of wanting to connect with people and wanting to bring people together and have a good time. So, you know, that's really the root of, uh, of all of it. I love it. People saying, thank you, Ted. People saying this is great advice. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You've, you've really made a big impact with us here today at hot breath. How can we support you? Where, where can people go and follow you and listen to you and all that? Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for, for the kind words. Uh, people can find me, on social media at Ted Alexandro, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, of course, TedAlexandro.com. All right, Hot Breath of Verse. Ted was taking valuable time away from his family to do this, so let him know on social media, showing your support. Go watch his new special, go listen to his podcast, and we will be back tomorrow with Beth Stelling, everyone. So have a good day out there. Excellent. There you go, Hot breath of verse, Ted Alexandro. If you found this episode helpful, reach out to him on social media. Let him know his time here on Hot Breath was very well spent. If you enjoy supporting that independent comedy hustle, my comedy special is available linked in the show notes. It's pay what you want, whatever you think this show is worth. I've been doing comedy over 10 years. This special is 10 years of hard work into what I consider my best work yet and a lot of people that have been watching it have been saying the same and I do appreciate those of you who have ordered it and appreciate all of you in the Facebook group who has joined on this Q&A as well as all the other fun content we get to share in that group so go join it if you love this podcast you're going to love that Facebook group but I love you and I love the value of your time which is why I'm not going to hold it up any longer but if you do want to connect with us more, social media is at Hot Breath Pod. My personal is at Joel Byers Comedy. I did just release an online comedy writing course that I will link in the show notes. If you're looking for techniques and tips to help improve your writing, that's a great place to start. And until next Monday, oh, I almost forgot. I thank my wife at the end of all these. So thank you, honey for making the theme song for this show. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.